bluntly, a lot of footballers like getting their dicks wet. Even if they've got partners and families, they'll have no problem finding someone down with OPP if they want to get some strange. But usually, these instances don't have murderous consequences. Over the years, there have been plenty of news stories about footballers cheating on their wives and girlfriends, with some teammates even coming to blows over the same girl. But while infidelity is bad enough, the case in this episode goes far beyond any instance of someone being a bad boyfriend. When rich young men in peak physical condition get a hankering for the pleasures of the flesh, they'll find a way to get what they want. But a real test of character comes when something goes too far. This tale is a cast of characters, but only two main protagonists. And to understand what happened, both their stories need telling. The time is approaching midnight, and a full moon can be seen from the window. It's the perfect night for tales of true crime and woe. And this week, orgies, cheating partners, and unplanned pregnancies make up the show. This is the dead ball situation. kind of place where you have to watch your nerves on its curves. Eliza Samudio is well known in Brazil. Born in Parana in 1985, she was abandoned by her farm-working mother at six months old due to repeated beatings from her architect husband. Her upbringing was tough. Her father was a difficult man to impress and could appear cold and distant. By the time she was ten, she moved to live with her mother for a year. But that was no better, as she was more interested in her new boyfriend and his pepper farm. Eliza returned to her father's house a year later, but couldn't stand being around him, so she ran away. She developed an interest in modelling, and from the age of 13 dreamed of moving to Rio to get her face in the magazines and on the runways of Brazil's most fashionable city. At 18, she moved to Sao Paulo and to support herself began working as a programme girl on Brazil's equivalent to Babe Station. In between the fashion shows and the editorials, she'd appear in pornographic movies and participate in what lawyer Jada Marquez referred to as sensual essays for the erotic production Brazilianeras. She'd do this under the pen name Fernanda Farias. Things were going well for Eliza. She was a young woman having fun in the big city, Her work brought her into contact with famous faces in Brazil's high society, albeit from closed doors. But in 2009, she would attend a party that would have life-altering repercussions. It had been billed as a barbecue at a secluded beach house in Rio, but it was actually an orgy arranged by a group of young footballers looking for a good time and hassle-free sex. Eliza proved a popular guest, with half of the men trying to talk to her and get her attention but she kept making eyes at the powerfully built man with the young face. He'd noticed her too, and eventually they got talking. 
His name was Bruno, and he was only a year older than her. He told her that he played in goal for Flamengo, and that he had big plans to join the long list of great goalkeeping exports to Europe. Barcelona were rumoured to be scouting him at the time. Eliza loved football, and she knew who Barcelona were. She'd love to visit. Soon, they made their way into one of the bedrooms and stayed there for the rest of the night. And the following morning, they made plans to see each other again. But there was just one problem. He was married, and he had two children. It didn't matter, though. They began to liaise regularly, and a short, intense love affair ensued. They'd meet at least twice a week, and he promised her that he would soon leave his wife to be with her. And she left her job as a programme girl in anticipation. Now, if that situation isn't already complicated enough, in August 2009, Eliza told Bruno that she was pregnant. To her, it was a happy accident. And being in love, she couldn't wait to start a family with Bruno. Once he left his wife, of course. She also didn't really believe in abortion. And it's easy to forget that abortion was still actually illegal in Brazil at this point. But he flipped out. He told her it couldn't happen and he broke off their relationship. He told her to get an abortion, but she refused. He was the father, and he had to deal with it. She filed for alimony payments through the courts. Things were about to get nasty. In October, she went to the police and claimed that she'd been kidnapped by two of Bruno's friends, known as Russo and Maracau, the latter who was a former cop, and she was held prisoner in a secret location. She said Bruno was there and he beat her and tried to force her to take an abortion-inducing medication. She said he'd he'd given her a warning. If I kill you and throw you somewhere, you won't be found, he said. She claimed that while she was at the police station, he was waiting for a backstreet abortion clinic. The police couldn't do anything, but she went to the courts and tried to file a restraining order so that Bruno wouldn't be allowed within 300 metres of her. But he denied that he'd done anything wrong and tried to pass her off as another crazy woman trying to dig her claws in. This is not the first time she has invented this bunch of lies to try and harm me, he said. The other time did not prove anything, and will not try again because she invented this whole story. It got to the point of sending an email to some newspapers in Rio yesterday, saying I missed training with Flamenco because I was with her, but I attended both morning and afternoon sessions, as all the journalists present could confirm. That's why I decided I'll only go through my lawyer, who will take all the reasonable steps to prevent her from continuing to try and harm me. She does not like it, because I've made it clear to her that I do not want any kind of relationship with her. I'm not going to give this girl the 15 minutes of fame that she so much desires. Strong words. The restraining order was turned down, with the judge claiming that there was no close relationship between the two and that he was protected under the Maria de Peña law, which is aimed at the protection of the family, whether it comes from a stable union or marriage, as well as objectifying the protection of women in the affective relationship, and not in the relation of purely casual and sexual character. They didn't take into account that Eliza was five months pregnant, so she fled to Sao Paulo to stay with a friend. In February 2010, Eliza gave birth to a son. In late May... Eliza travelled back to Rio with the hope of seeing Bruno and coming to some kind of arrangement. And on June 4th, she spoke to her parents for the last time. Bruno played his final game for Flamengo on June 5th. He was all set to negotiate a move to AC Milan. 
His form that season had been exceptional and he was being lined up as the next long-term number one for the Brazilian national team. But before that, he had something to take care of. Once again, he sent Maracau and his 17-year-old cousin, Fernandes de Souza, also known as Noodles, to go and pick up Eliza from her hotel and take her to his ranch in Esmeraldas, in Minas Gerais. She was never seen again. Now here's where it gets messy. One of Eliza's friends became panicked after not hearing from her for a few days. She contacts the police and tells them that she thinks something bad has happened. The cops go and find Bruno, but they don't believe it. Whatever. This will be a great chance to meet a footballer just as he's about to get big. But they go armed with a warrant to search his car anyway. And in it, they find traces of human blood. The police then receive an anonymous report claiming that Eliza had been taken to his ranch and was beaten, murdered, and her clothes burnt and her body concealed. The police are suddenly more interested and begin to surveil his property. On June 26th, Eliza's son is found living in a favela in Rio with a friend of Bruno's wife. The baby is taken in by the police and the family that were looking after him keep their lips sealed. Eliza's father comes to take the child and is initially granted custody but it soon gets passed over to her mother. Two days later, after searching Bruno's ranch, women and children's clothes are found. On July 5th, investigators receive information that Eliza's body is in Lagoa Suya, but after a search of the local area and the water that runs through it, no discovery was made. The following day, on July 6th, the police take Bruno's cousin Noodles into custody where he confirms that Eliza was taken to the ranch and that she was beaten and suffocated to death before having her body quartered and given to local gangsters who fed her remains to their Rottweilers. Allegedly, the dogs tore the body and the bones to the point of it being unrecognisable. Eliza was just 25 years old. Just after this, a urine sample that Eliza gave the previous October showed that she did have abortive substances in her system but the test was also said to be inconclusive. The blood that was found in Bruno's car was analysed, and surprise, surprise, it was Eliza's. That, coupled with Noodles' testimony, was enough for the police to issue arrest warrants for Bruno and Maracau. News got out quick, and the pair decided to hand themselves in in Rio before the heat got turned up. As soon as he's in custody, police obtain a search warrant for his house in Vespasiano and turn it over but they don't find any evidence to suggest that Eliza was killed there. Bruno and Caracao give their statements, and soon after, three more people are arrested in connection with Eliza's disappearance. While being transferred for questioning, the cameras caught up with him and he gave a few words. I leave it in the hands of God, he said calmly. I'm hoping that she will appear, that this situation will end soon, because it is annoying. I'm sad about it. I hope she appears. I hope that one day I will laugh about all of this. He also doubted whether the baby was even his. It was an orgy, he said. These parties are common in our circle. I was with her. Everyone was with her. During questioning, Bruno admitted that Eliza had been at the ranch, but that she'd left of her own accord and that he didn't know where she'd gone. As per his lawyer's advice, he said little else and claimed not to know why his newborn son, Bruninho, was found living in a favela with a friend of his wife's. Flamengo were understanding during this early stage and hadn't cancelled his contract, but said that he would train alone while under investigation. The press were divided. 
Some reported that he was a gentle man who bought his wife teddy bears and rose to fame out of the rubble of one of Brazil's toughest neighbourhoods in Santa Matilde, while others painted him as a hot-tempered fighter who was quick to anger. On July 15th, he was formally fired by Flamengo. He'd been charged, along with seven others, for the kidnap and murder of Eliza Samudio. He'd also been charged with forming a criminal gang and corrupting a minor. There wouldn't be a trial just yet, though. The judicial system in Brazil moves at a snail's pace. So first, Bruno would have to appear in front of a judge who would decide whether he was a case to answer. If the answer was yes, then there'd be a trial. Murder in Brazil carries a penalty of 12 to 30 years, with additional time added for hiding a body, if a body is found. He would be held for three years before his trial started. He maintained his innocence and even tried to have the case thrown out by habeas corpus, which requires the person under arrest to be brought before a judge or into a court, especially to secure the person's release, unless lawful grounds are shown for their detention. Basically, if there was no body, the defence felt there was no case. The prosecution was resolute, though. There's no need to find the corpse to prove death. There are many other ways to prove death. In case the corpse is found, only one proof is needed, which is the autopsy report. In this case, all of the proofs will be united and suppress the need for an autopsy report, said prosecutor Gustavo Fabrini. While incarcerated, Bruno tried to commit suicide twice as fears over his mental state began to surface. His trial wouldn't begin until 2013, three years after he was originally arrested. When the trial did start, the cracks appeared pretty quickly. Bruno claimed that he was told about Samudio's kidnapping after it had happened, and that she'd been taken to his second home, where her hired killer was waiting. During one particularly dramatic outburst, Bruno cried as he explained how Caracao paid someone else to carry out the murder. He told the jury that he didn't order her killing, but he accepted it. On March 8th, 2013, Bruno Fernandez de Storas de Souza was sentenced to 22 years behind bars. But that's not where the story ends. In February 2017, Bruno's lawyers filed an official petition of habeas corpus because of the slow processing of his repeal request. The petition was granted, and having served just six years and seven months of his sentence, Bruno was released, pending appeal. Perversely, Offers from clubs across Brazil began to flood in. He told reporters that he'd been keeping himself in shape in prison and had been playing regularly in the rec yard. The offers from the likes of Milan and Porto may have gone, but he was amazingly being given the opportunity to resume his professional career in his home country. He decided to sign for second division Boa Esporte. Large sections of the fans were on his side, saying he'd served his time and should be allowed to get on with his life. Where have we heard that one before? Eliza's mother campaigned for Bruno to return to prison, but her pleas were unsuccessful. The club were willing to get a bat for their man. The club president said Boa Esporte was not responsible for the release and freedom of the athlete. And it also claimed that the club was merely attempting to do justice by helping a human being who seeks to recover. How very noble. Bruno himself, despite everything, seemed serene. In an interview he said, what happened, happened. I made a mistake, a serious one, 
but mistakes happen in life. I'm not a bad guy. People tried to bury my dreams because of one mistake, but I asked God for forgiveness, so I'm carrying on with my career, dude. Casually dropping the dude in there at the end. However, his dream of a return to football was short-lived. In April 2017, he found himself back behind bars after the Brazilian Supreme Court decided that most of the delays in his appeal was because of the defence team. Bruno never got to make an appearance for Boa Esporte. What a sad and crazy story. It's hard to believe that even though Eliza was disposed of in such a gruesome way, there's been no traces of her found anywhere. That must be awful for her family, knowing they'll never get closure on it. And it'll be awful for her son, who has to deal with what his father did to her. It's also crazy to believe that Bruno was given another chance at such a high level. It seems that footballers really are immune from real life sometimes. Before he killed Eliza, it seems that Bruno was never really held accountable for the way he treated women. He had a wife and two children, but by the sounds of it he'd run around behind their backs whenever he felt like it, and didn't stop to think about the consequences once he got in too deep. It certainly contributes to a global misogyny problem that the game has. He's currently back in prison and will probably be there for a few more years. Good. He deserves to stay there. Eliza may have had a job that wouldn't be to everybody's taste, but by all accounts she was a sweet kid who came from a tough background. She was a huge football fan, so being around players so often probably carried a bigger thrill. And she was just trying to make her way in the world when she came across the wrong man. Well thank you for turning into episode 3. The show's going to take a break next week for Christmas, but we'll be back with a new episode on January 2nd. I want to give a shout out to my friend Caroline who helped me find some resources for this episode. Caroline, or Kaz as I know her, is from Brazil, and even helped me piece together a timeline, which I was having trouble with thanks to the lack of things in English. She did a great job, and I really, really appreciate her help. As always, if you like what you heard, please rate the show wherever you listen to it and leave a review. They really helped help the show reach a much bigger audience, and it certainly helps me feel better about myself. Resources for this episode will be found on our Facebook page next week, and that can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash the dead ball situation. As always, you can find the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, Acast, uh, SoundCloud, and the other one, whatever that is. Anyway, have a very Merry Christmas, and I'll see you in the new year. Mm-hmm.